0: Uh, Christian virtues that we see in scripture are not only commands, they are effects, they are consequences of walking with the Lord. And so uh, we are concluding our series and we're going to be talking about the virtue of love and how that plays out in our life and how we're designed both to receive it, but also to uh, practice it in our life. And we are reading a story from the Gospel of John, verses 43 to 51. Uh, And we read this. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathaniel and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth. The son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Well, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God, you are the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Over the past few months, uh, our family has been devouring a lot of cooking shows. Um, uh, there's a lot of uh, you know free shows on um, you know we yeah on the television we can look at you know great British baking show all those kinds of things they're low stress and calming and they capture our girls attentions and they don't really you know startle Sam too much with any loud noises he can just keep on doing what he's doing Um, The girls especially love when they make cakes that have different uh, layers and flavors inside of them. Uh, They told us that uh, eating one of those kinds of cakes would be like discovering a secret that the baker left just for them. Uh, So, you know, y'all know these kinds of cakes, these kind of fancy cakes. So covered in icing, they look pretty normal on the outside, like a normal cake, but the inside... Uh, is full of different flavors, sometimes on on every different level. Uh, so if the bakers do it right, the layers of taste complement each other to create something you wouldn't have expected uh, to begin with. So it's not just chocolate, it's chocolate and, you know, pistachio or something, or, you know, raspberry and vanilla, something like that. Those are the kinds of things that they make on these kinds of shows. Um, our scripture this morning works in a similar way. You know, we sometimes skate on the surface of stories we read in the Bible, um, which means we often miss the deeper levels of meaning. Now, part of this isn't really our fault. Most of us didn't grow up immersed in the Jewish faith, uh, and so we miss the historical and the cultural and the theological layers built into the story of God and his people. But the Word of God is designed to point back to itself so anybody— anyone can catch those references if they put in the work. For John, John does this all the time. Uh, He is drenched in the ancient images and promises and stories of the Old Testament, and everything Jesus says and does reveals that he is the Messiah, sent by a loving God to rescue his children for a particular uh, purpose. And John, in particular, is very uh, cosmic. He is Uh, The entire gospel, it's not just pointing uh, to Jesus in the Jewish story. It's pointing to Jesus as the logos, as the word uh, that undergirds reality. John always is putting those things, uh, injecting his uh, the gospel with those insights. We see this in conversations uh, Jesus has with people uh, throughout John's gospel and also even in his letters uh, later in the New Testament. Uh, For example... When Jesus talks to the woman at the well, he shares this sort of uh, universal riddle about how the water that he offers will quench her thirst forever. Now, he's talking to a woman at the well, so he's talking about literal water. Uh, and that, But it might confuse us if when he says, well, the water that I offer will, will quench your thirst forever. But people in that culture understood that only the Messiah has the authority to offer a living water because that represented the presence of God himself. You see that in prophecies uh, way back in the Old Testament. In Ezekiel, there's the promise of a river coming from the temple of God and flooding the earth. Jesus was talking about water from a well, but he was also revealing the, uh, that he's going to establish the kingdom of God in the hearts of his people. The same kind of layered interaction happens in our scripture today in we see how the love of God not only saves us, but gives us unique purpose. For John, God saves his children not only from death, but so they might also participate in the work of love that Jesus Jesus begins. So here we see a story of how Jesus starts to call the first disciples. So after calling Andrew and Peter and Bethany, Jesus goes to Galilee to call Philip and Nathaniel. In the conversation that follows, both men discover the call of Jesus moves far beyond the usual invitation to uh, follow a traditional Jewish rabbi in three distinct ways. The first is that the call of Jesus is personal. Jesus goes to Galilee to explicitly find Philip and Nathaniel. That tells us that our God seeks his children with eternal persistence, removing every obstacle, including death itself, to reach us. Jesus went out of his way to find them, and he does the same with you and me. When Jesus invites us to walk with him, he is not speaking generically of just all of us. He's not saying y'all. He is saying you. He's saying you. We are individually precious to him. C.S. Lewis wrote that, he, uh, that Jesus died not for men or humanity, but for each man. If each man had been the only person made, he would have done no less. Jesus doesn't play favorites because we are all his favorite. Moved by love, he doesn't stumble into anybody's life uh, and call them on accident. He came for Philip and Nathaniel, and he also comes for us. Nathanael isn't a stranger to Jesus, even though they had never met. And he shares details of Nathaniel's life, declaring him an Israelite without deceit, and that he'd seen him under the fig tree. Now this should give uh, should have given Nathaniel, but also us comfort. Jesus knew what Nathaniel had been up to, and He knows us in the same way. Our God knows our past mistakes. He knows how we're failing even now. He sees our talents and gifts. He can trace the corners of our souls. He knows us even better than we know ourselves. He sees us just as we are, but still comes and calls us to follow him. The call of Jesus is personal. And just like he extends it to Nathaniel, he extends it to us. Second, the call of Jesus points to our transformation through the Holy Spirit. Now, the phrase, follow me, first off, is not a one-time invitation, but it's an ongoing command that implies life will not be the same once Jesus enters our hearts. Following him is not a short-term commitment. It is a lifelong endeavor to learn more about Jesus and walk in his ways. We aren't called to just change a few habits here and there, but surrender our lives to his will and direction. Jesus calls each of us to become the people he made us to be. This is where we start to move into those deeper layers. So moving into that second layer underneath the first, we see the promise of transformation when Jesus tells Nathanael that he is an Israelite without deceit. Now on one level, this probably describes Nathaniel; He's forthright, he's known for being sincere, but it also points to the change awaiting all believers by reflecting the story of Jacob and a prophecy from Zephaniah. And the fact that it reflects a story from Jacob is really important because of how Jesus concludes this conversation. So the first person named Israel in Scripture uh, was explicitly known for his deceitfulness. Jacob stole his brother Esau's birthright. He ran away. He cheated his uncle out of a fortune, and then he ran away again. God gives Jacob the name Israel to symbolize how God changes his children. It symbolizes humanity's restoration. Jesus isn't just describing Nathaniel, but pointing to the redemption of God's people, describing what happens when the love of God enters the hearts of his people. How God removes their hearts of stone and gives them hearts of flesh. Instead of selfishness, Jesus fills his children with truth and life so we might reflect that love back to the world. Zephaniah Zephaniah, uh, chapter 3 describes what this will look like. Uh, It says, I will leave in your midst a people humble and lowly. They shall do no injustice and speak no lies, nor shall there be found in their mouth a deceitful tongue. The new kingdom will be full of former deceivers who now tell the truth, just like Jacob. Now, it's kind of like a spiritual pun. Jesus is hinting at what happens to people who follow him. So Nathaniel, if he knew anything about Jacob, if he knew anything about um, being called uh, deceitful or trustworthy, uh, he would have picked up on this. The fig tree also appears in prophecies concerning the coming of Jesus and the kingdom God promises to establish. So sitting under the fig tree was symbolic of the peace that comes from faithfully following Yahweh. Historically, First Kings 4 tells us that at the peak of King Solomon's prosperity, the nation of Israel found peace on all sides around them. Judah and Israel lived in safety, every man under his vine and under his fig tree, sitting without worry for war. Our God promises a deeper peace with the arrival of Jesus, a peace that results in the practice of loving God and loving others. In this way, the virtue of love flows from our new position and relationship with God. When the Messiah comes, every person will sit under their own fig tree at peace with everyone because they have found peace with their God. This image uh, captivated our, first, uh, our nation's first president so deeply, uh, George Washington would often end his letters with the prophecy from Micah 4. Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord that he may teach us his ways and we may walk in his paths. His people shall all sit under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. Nathaniel had been waiting for the one who would restore God's people, who would start a new kingdom. The first words of Jesus echo specific prophecies, which show he isn't just some new rabbi, but a promised the promised Messiah who will transform the world. Jesus isn't just saying, I supernaturally saw you when you were sitting under the fig tree doing whatever you were doing. He's saying, I am the Messiah. I'm going to usher in a new kingdom into this broken world. I seek the lost. I save those who are perishing. I bring my children home. Follow me and be made new as I make the whole world new. The final layer of the call uh, Jesus, uh, the call Jesus gives to Nathaniel, uh, leads us to participate in the restoration of our broken world and teaching us how to love like He loves. Jesus commands His children to follow Him and participate in the deliverance of a world that is off, that is fallen into sin and darkness. When we follow Jesus, when we respond to His call. He leads us to the front lines of his plan to redeem the entire universe. He calls his children to be salt and light, to be part of a movement that is still flooding the pages of history with the love of a gracious God. Jesus uses the story of Jacob witnessing the hidden movement of God to illustrate the radical nature of his mission to the world through his children. Now it's important that he ends the story with a, a, an explicit reference to the uh, story of Jacob falling asleep and seeing angels descending and ascending on a ladder. He promises Nathaniel that you will see even greater things than these. Truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. That's not quite the same. That's not quite what happens in the story of Jacob. The promise to see heaven open already puts Nathaniel in elite company. Only prophets like Elijah or Ezekiel were given visions of God's supernatural activity and glory. But Jesus increases the power of this promise when he describes himself as a ladder that connects heaven and earth. John Calvin says it is Christ alone who connects heaven and earth. He is the only mediator who reaches from heaven down to earth. He is the bridge through which the fullness of all blessings flow down to us and through which we in turn ascend to God. Christ not only approached us, but clothed himself in our nature that he might make us one with himself. Jesus connects our hearts to the supernatural activity of God's so the supernatural activity of God's kingdom might flow through us. The call of Jesus is not, we're not called to be a passive audience. We are called to be active contributors in sharing his love. The virtue of love then isn't just a command, it's an effect of uh, Jesus moving in and through us. And the Messiah lives in us Our lives become models. They become reflections of the Jesus that met and called us. Dallas Willard wrote that individually, the disciple and friend of Jesus, who has learned to work shoulder to shoulder with his or her Lord, stands in this world as a point of contact between heaven and earth, a kind of Jacob's ladder by which the angels of God may ascend from and descend into human life. Thus, the disciple stands as an envoy or a receiver by which the kingdom of God is conveyed into every quarter of human affairs. It's not that just that Jesus is a ladder. It's that we become a ladder too. We are called to follow Jesus into our own corners of the universe and proclaim his love and goodness to both, and with both our words and our actions. What's funny is we actually see this modeled in this first story with Philip and Nathaniel because that's exactly what Philip does with Nathaniel. Just like Don was talking about earlier, Philip was the window to God's love for Nathaniel. After meeting Jesus, Philip runs to his friend and he proclaims the truth about Jesus. He says, come and see the one who knows you, who will transform you, who's about to transform the world. Notice that Philip did not try to convince Nathaniel with some grand gesture. The good news of Jesus Christ is made known not in elaborate proclamations, but daily interactions with your neighbor. Let me say that again. The establishment of God's kingdom happens through people like you and me when we consistently exhibit the love and grace of Jesus to the people in our lives. The ladder that comes down from heaven comes down to people in your life through you. The fruit of the Spirit Paul talks about in Galatians are designed specifically so we can do this. When we are gentle and kind and patient, we bless the actual people we interact with in our comings and goings. Only you know the people in your life on a personal level, and only you can make real his love and grace. The actual people in your life, the ones that you hang out with, the ones that you work with and live with, the ones that you say hello to when you go on walks or you know, when you're standing in line at the grocery store, they are the ones that you've been called to love in the name of Jesus. That is how those people know about the love of Jesus. Every day, there are opportunities to be the hands and feet of Jesus to those around us. How can we reach out and show his kindness? Right now, we have, I think, an amazing opportunity. The church has a unique opportunity, because right now, this world is overcome with fear and anxiety. Our society is terrified of suffering and death adrift from the good news that we know in Jesus. But we follow a Savior who experienced the worst of this world so we could be free to live in a new way. Scripture tells us he takes extra time to walk with people who are weighed down by their troubles and sorrows, that he remembers the people who the world forgets. How can we follow his lead? Our nation is more divided than ever, apparently ready to fight At the slightest provocation, but Jesus came to bring us peace. How can we share that and be that with people we know and meet? Author Mike Cosper writes that when Esau shows grace and welcomes Jacob, Jacob responds, seeing your face is like seeing the face of God. This can be our presence to a watching world. Of course, none of us probably feel prepared to carry the love of God to our neighbors. We might feel a little overwhelmed that God gives us responsibility. But Jesus personally calls each of us to follow him so we can help restore the broken world in which we live, to extend the love he gave to us to others. Jesus connects heaven and earth and the hearts of his children so his love and grace might be known to all people. His call draws us further up and farther into his love. And when Jesus calls us, we will see greater things happening. We will see the activity of his kingdom, not just out there, off in the distance, around the corner, done by super-Christians and bigger churches with more people, but operating in and through normal people, normal congregations like us. Because the Spirit of God is in us. Jesus plants Jacob's ladder in the very depths of our souls. He comes to each one of us, even now, to align our hearts with his. And then he lets us loose. He lets us loose into this world so that we might play our part in the greater things to come that we might love like he loves. That is the purpose of our call as Christians. Be encouraged. Hallelujah. Amen.